So, Mark. Yes. We're talking papes. We are talking papes. Because this movie's full of them. I hate how often they say papes. Uh, Roughly how many papes would you like? You want 50, 100? (laughs) What's the number of papes that would be acceptable for you in this movie? (laughs) Uh, Just say papers. No, it's papes. They gotta sell the papes. They don't have time to add a syllable here. I got it. Ridiculous. Gotta get out on the streets. I don't care if it's period appropriate. Hearing that many children say the word papes that often was awful. Well, Mark, in the spirit of the papes, I was wondering, what is your favorite movie about about papes, about newspapers? So my friend is a journalist, and as of recording, was at the State of the Union last night. And she asked me, should I wear heels or her flats and my first thought was you need to recreate this entire look and send her a picture of rosalind russell with the funky little top hat from his girl friday the the striped one the striped top hat i don't think i gave her enough warning to go out and recreate this look that's not not in like your family's attic no it is not something we have sitting around unfortunately because i know Roz is one of your people she is a like distant cousin but also the closest I have to any fame in my family. And that just made me think of a great newspaper movie, His Girl Friday, which would be have been even better if they didn't end up together, but Hayes Code and production being what it was at the time, we all knew that that's where it was going. I think the way we should reconcile all of that is that subsequent adaptations of the front page should still require them to get together, even if they don't do the gender flip thing. Oh, yeah. I forgot about the gender flip until this moment. Yes, I agree. Or do a complete gender flip, too. So they're both women? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if Hollywood did that, they would immediately switch it from a newspaper to be, like, runway magazine. I mean, then you wouldn't quite have the, like, death row element to it. Yeah. I just, I don't know if I trust Hollywood to not be tempted. But you know what? That that could be fun, too, right? If you somehow make a, like, high-stakes screwball thing around one of those, right? Like, Devil Wears Prada is is more dramatic than that would be. I would love to see the screwball comedy version of the Devil Wears Prada. Yeah! Except Emily Blunt must have a much larger role, because I think she could handle it. Oh, absolutely. How would you have screwball Miranda Priestly? I mean, you wouldn't really, is the thing. <laughs> no, because there has to be the one, like, flat character that's reacting to the screwball. But Anne right. Hathaway needs to slip on more banana peels. But, like, the movie would not orbit Meryl Streep the way that the version we have does. Yeah, it would have to be completely different. Right, it would obviously orbit Stanley Tucci instead. I'm mostly picturing Anne Hathaway doing all of the same tasks and, like, ridiculous chores for Miranda Priestly. There's just a million more banana peels along the way. It's like Sideshow Bob with the rakes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) running out to buy her steak for lunch and just slipping on banana peel after banana peel. Eventually riding two on her heels like roller skates. And this time she doesn't actually manage to get the seventh Harry Potter book, but in some ridiculous fashion, right? Like she just misses the train to get them to the twins. There's a She misses the the train and so it's her job to read it to them over the phone. And so then she has to improv a Harry Potter book. Wow. See, this sounds great. Yeah, I think I think we cracked it. Well, what is your go-to newspaper movie? Oh, a movie about papes? Yeah, a movie about the papes. So, uh, obviously, my favorite pape movie is The Great Muppet Caper. Yes, I figured. In which Kermit and Fozzie play identical twins. 
the movie repeatedly insists on it and everyone just goes with it. There's one point where they show a photo of their dad and it's Fozzie Bear but green and with like Kermit's neck collar thing. I saw a TikTok today that was talking about how Kermit and Miss Piggy, based off of a Muppet Christmas Carol, aren't two separate species, but an example of extreme sexual dimorphism in the same species. Yep. So yeah, Great Muppet Caper, they are their new investigative reporters, and in the opening sequence, Diana Rigg gets robbed, and every other newspaper writes about it, but Kermit and Fozzie write a story about how identical twins have been hired by this newspaper, which makes it to the front page before the editor-in-chief gets mad about it. That movie simplifies the level of steps of approvals in the newspaper business. I think that's the greatest movie about the papes that's ever been made. I was like, he's either going to go with that or All the President's Men. The thing is, I've only seen All the President's Men once, and I've seen The Great Muppet Caper (laughs) approximately 1,000 times. (laughs) You know what? That is a fair metric. If anything, you're underselling yourself. Truly. Yeah, I know. What about you? What's your favorite pape movie? So, you know, I could go serious with something like The Post. Good movie. But... A pape movie that most people wouldn't consider a pape movie is 27 Dresses. <laughs> that is a pape movie. It is a pape movie. She does work for the papes. Well, James Marsden James does. Marsden. He's the, or like, he does. He's writing the article. He writes the wedding section. Yeah. But he hates weddings. He hates them. Because he had a big one. And then she walked away. The papes. That's a Michael Keaton movie, Mark. The papes? The pape. What's the pape? Michael Keaton's in a movie called The Paper. Oh, is he? What about The Young Pape? Or The Two Papes? Well, The Two Papes is a movie. The Young Pape would be a TV show with the sequel, The New Pape. <laughs> I hate I, my One of my problems with papes is for some reason, I think it's because of the word papist that I heard a lot in Georgia history. Good. In the beginning lessons. I hear papes and I just think popes. Well, so what you're saying is we need a Pope Pape movie about the Vatican newspaper. That does exist, doesn't it? Yeah. I can't imagine the circulation is that high of the actual paper. (laughs) Well, you know, it circulates within the Vatican and then, you know, other people read it online. How do we write that movie? The Pope Pape? Pope Pape. Yep. It feels like it would have to be a comedy, right? Absolutely. And it's about like, it's it's a romantic comedy about some of the staffers of the Pope Pape. Aren't they? They can't all be religious. They can't all be priests, right? No, there's there's non-religious people that live in the Vatican that work for the Vatican. There's, there's got to be some nuns on staff. There's children that live in the Vatican. There's Are children there? working at the Pope Pape? Are they newsies? I genuinely picture citizens of the Vatican as all 80-year-old men. No, there's definitely children. There was a documentary about one that, like, she got murdered. Or something oh. like there, there are children that are children of people that work for the Vatican that live in Vatican City. Are they all nephews of the Pope? No. I googled children in Vatican City, and the first hit is Mama Loves Rome dot com. <laughs> <laughs> Vatican City with kids, best things to see besides the museums. No. What made the list? Is there like a an amusement park? Um, St. Peter's Square. Kind of an amusement park. If there's not a Ferris wheel and cotton candy, it doesn't count. But there's a balcony and a pope. Literally, everything is in the St. Peter's Square or St. Peter's Basilica, except for the Vatican Gardens. Seems like mom's not doing a great job here. I mean, I don't think you can get that many places that aren't related to St. Peter's Square or the museums. Yeah, that's the issue. All right, well, we got a lot of papes to talk about. We do have a lot of papes. So we should probably get underway on this. 
All right. So, welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative show dedicated to examining the very least important issue facing the world. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people really selling the papes or are they just lying? I don't believe a single one of these kids was a newspaper delivery boy. Well, we'll have to talk about that. And we will certainly have time for it because there is very little romance in this movie. But we'll do our best to make sense of it as we are joined by our good friend, Catherine, to talk about Kenny Ortega's worst film, (laughs) Newsies. Hi, everybody. Miss you. I'm laying it down now. I'm not saying you're wrong, but I do think that High School Musical 2 has, has some competition. Wait, you think... You think High School Musical 2 is a contender for his worst movie? It's not great. High School Musical 2, for starters, is not even the worst High School Musical movie. I know. I need to look at his filmography again. Yeah, let me pull that up. So we talk about this on our High School Musical 3 episode, the worst High School Musical movie. Uh, fair. Have I seen High School Musical 3, or did you do that one without me? (laughs) No, we did it last year. You keep forgetting that we did it. It was a theatrical release. I have so fully blocked that whole movie from my brain. It's the one where Vanessa Hudgens is forced to go to college for two weeks in the middle of her senior year. I just, I can't imagine that that's a real movie that was released in theaters. In October, no less. I think that's the problem. So we have not done every movie he directed. With this episode, we will have done all of his narrative theatrical movies. Because we have not done his remaining Disney Channel movies, The Cheetah Girls 2 or The Three Descendants movies. And we have not done his concert movies. We also have not done his unreleased movie that was only ever at one Florida film festival about a, like, cranky old, like, racist and homophobe who needs a heart transplant and gets it from a Puerto Rican drag queen. Uh, you've talked about this, and I'm still interested. <laughs> I think that was on our Hocus Pocus episode. That sounds right. I have not heard of this movie. <laughs> yeah, that's because it doesn't exist. It was at one f- minor film festival. You cannot watch it. Okay, fair. Uh, but So yeah, I'm laying it down. Newsies, Kenny Ortega's worst movie. That's where I'm starting. Okay. I don't know. I'm torn between this and Hocus Pocus. Or High School Musical 3. I didn't dislike this movie that much. Saying Hocus Pocus is bad is blasphemy. We did it for a whole episode. I, yeah. Yes, I understand you did, but blasphemous. Um, Hocus Pocus, like this movie, rightly flopped in theaters. Wait, I'm on, hold on, unrelated. I'm on Kenny Ortega's Wikipedia page, and he choreographed a animated movie. They do that. <laughs> yeah, animated movies need choreographers. They give reference to the animators. I don't remember much dancing in this movie. What movie? It is 1998's Quest for Camelot. Oh, there is dancing. Oh, also, a, that movie's a musical. It's listed with citation needed. There is dancing. <laughs> There's absolutely dancing in Quest for I Camelot. I love Quest for Camelot. I saw it in theaters and never again. I would recommend not watching it again because I watched it as an older person. It was like, this movie is 60 minutes and it's boring. No, it's not good now. Is it something my brother and I watched many, many, many times? Yes. Oh, yeah. I watched it a lot. So, okay, we're going to have a lot to talk about in this one. We'll have very little romance to talk about, but I think there will be a lot of depths for us to plumb. We are, again, taking a look at the 1992 Kenny Ortega film Newsies. His directorial debut, coming off of an acclaimed career as a choreographer, he choreographed St. Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Dirty Dancing. He also choreographed the Material Girl and Mr. Roboto music videos. You're forgetting about Xanadu. 
I was forgetting about Xanadu. So, like, he is coming in with a great pedigree as a choreographer, and so he's being attached to this new live-action kids musical that Disney's producing. And as I said, the movie was an enormous flop. It made $2.8 million at the North American box office against its $15 million budget. Yikes. In its opening weekend, it opened on over 1,000 screens in 13th place with $1.2 million. Other kids' movies ahead of it, we have Ladybugs in 11th in its third week with $1.6 million. Fern Gully opening the same weekend in fifth place with $3.5 million. And Beethoven at number four with $6.1 million. So there's a market for kids' movies, but none of them went to see Newsies. Why did this flop so hard? Like, that's bad. I don't really know. There has not been the same rigor put to this movie's flop as there was to something like John Carter or The Lone Ranger. But, you know, some people have argued that it's just like live-action musicals were not really a big thing at the box office at this point. The animated musicals at Disney are becoming a big deal. This comes out between Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin for them. But there's not a lot of other stuff like it on the market. Although I do think, like, there's something to be said for comparing this to a movie like Hook, which comes out around the same time. And Hook is not a good movie either, but it grabs your attention and holds it a little more effectively. It just feels insane that something with a Mencken score could have done that poorly. Yeah, I think it's not a great Mencken score. It won a I Tony! Don't think he was, I don't <laughs> think he was whole-assing this movie. A different Mencken score won a Tony. There is some overlap, but there is different stuff Oh, in no, it. that's true. And I think this movie takes a long time to have, like, a really strong musical number in it. and. You know, it's the kind of thing of, like, this is, like, the first project that Mencken gets out after Howard Ashman dies that Ashman, like, doesn't do any work on. And, I don't know, this kind of feels like any one of these songs could be in, like, the bottom third of a Mencken-Ashman collaboration. You don't think that Carrying the Banner is, a, like, a standout song? I don't think this movie's doing it any favors. Okay. I think that, weirdly, like, and this is part of my thing about, like, I think this is Kenny Ortega's worst movie, is that... It feels to me like Kenny Ortega is coming into this movie really wanting to prove that he's more than just a choreographer. Really wanting to prove that that's not the only trick that he's got. And so perversely, a lot of the ways that he directs the musical numbers don't really show off the thing that he is best at. There are times where you can see it, but he cuts around the choreography in weird ways. There are entire songs that he reduces entirely to montage, where you don't see any dancing or anything like that. And so it, I feel him reaching to be something that he kind of is not, or at least is not at this point. Whereas you look at, say, the High School Musical movies, and those are movies that really like to clear the deck and just show you a big musical number. And Newsies never really gets out of its own way in that sense. This movie made a really interesting casting decision as well, which was to not cast good singers. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no one in this movie I would describe as a singer. I will say, I think the accent is not doing anybody any favors. Like, you can hear those kids straining to sing through the accent. But also, Christian Bale as as Jack Kelly is a stretch from a singing perspective. And just, like, even things that could be fixed with more vocal training. Like, some of these kids just aren't using full breath control. You can almost hear them panting. Yeah, but I think also at the time, like... Did Disney really want to invest that much into 
this is a huge cast, right? So how much? Shrink, they, the like cast. they didn't have to make this movie. <laughs> they chose to make this movie. <laughs> they also chose to cast that many boys. There's too many boys in the first scene. One of my first thoughts was that's too many boys. <laughs> but there's so many papes to be sold. So <laughs> many papes. And how are we really supposed to understand how much Pulitzer is like? crushing the spirits of every working child in new york city if we don't see the breadth of the amount of boys i gotta say talking about pulitzer robert duvall in this movie is giving a performance that would make an audio animatronic proud (laughs) (laughs) like he understood being cast in a disney product to be you should behave like you are in the hall of presidents (laughs) i will say the person playing theodore roosevelt is going for it in contrast <laughs> he's got like one line i know but he went for it honestly i think my favorite weird casting moment though is Anne margaret <laughs> i do not understand her character at all where did Anne margaret come from in 1992 like that's just insane why is why is meta friends with this little teen runaway she was friends with his dad before his dad went to prison it's still, like, odd. <laughs> Suspend your disbelief. That has never made sense. Suspend your disbelief. At least in the stage production, they fix it a little bit. And he, like, does some work for her. So there's at least some explanation for the relationship. <laughs> but suspend your disbelief. It doesn't make it's sense. <laughs> so I did not expect Anne margaret If someone said, what do you think about the film Newsies? I would not say Anne margaret will give a performance slash sing a very large number during a rally of 11-year-old boys <laughs> in her theater that she owns. In 1899. But also, the Newsies range in age from, like, 4 to 25. Yeah. No, Jack Kelly's supposed to be 17. Just Christian Bale, who was an actual 18-year-old, look like he's 30? Sure. I wouldn't say 30. He looked old. I was... I think he just looks the same. Yeah. Why do we never talk about him in the celebrities that don't age? Because no one talks about Newsies, Catherine. By the way, no one talks about Newsies, including Christian Bale, who, like, in reading interviews with him as an adult, you can see him bristle whenever anyone brings it up. And he's openly like, yeah, I don't like musicals. Yeah, I think he said, like, I was miscast. I should not have been in Newsies. Yeah, so you get him and the kid from Big. And that's your... Those are your young those leads. Those are your leads. Every time he said oi instead of an R sound, thoity, woik, I lost it. That was what was keeping me engaged with the movie. Okay, that feels a little bit right to me, though, because the real 1899 Newsboy Strike, which I can talk a little bit more about if we want, but it was led by a kid named Kid Blink, who I think was like 18 at the time. And uh, Kid Blink had an eye patch and was a red-haired Brooklynite. And, like, newspapers wrote a lot about the Newsboy strike, and they would always transcribe Kid Blink phonetically. That's incredible. So if you look up the newspaper coverage, it's all like, uh, and I'll drop it in the chat so you guys can see it too. Actually, Catherine, would you read this for us in your Newsy accent? Gosh, I don't have one. Friends and... I, I See, I'm gonna do it like I have a lisp, which is not correct. Just do it. Friends and f- fellow walkers, this is a time which tries the hearts of men. This is the time when we've got to stick together like glue. We know what we want, and we'll get it, even if we is blind. And that's like what spelled W-O-T, the hearts, D-E hearts. 
So, you know, it does feel like there was an effort by the screenwriters to and, the, and the, by the performers to capture the spirit of Kid Blink. Yeah. I'd say, I'd agree. I don't know if it's a successful effort. So, Mark, you, like, I watched this movie for the first time yesterday, right? That is correct. The only exposure I have to the film Newsies is from listening to the You're Wrong About episodes about the 1899 Newsboys strike, in which the host, Sarah Marshall, is a big fan of the film Newsies and its pro-labor agenda. Well, yeah. Catherine, what is your background with Newsies? So I think I saw it once or twice as, like, growing up. It wasn't a huge movie in my house, But then when I got to college, it was a big movie for one of my friends that I made freshman year. And that was also right around the time that Disney announced that they were turning it into a stage production. So we watched it a lot. (laughs) Um, I watched it a lot in college. And then in June, like two weeks after freshman year. So wait, when you say you watched it a lot in college, you meant you watched it a lot in a single year of college. (laughs) But then also since then, because it's fun. I find it fun. But then I flew to New Jersey like two weeks after I'd come home from freshman year to go meet two of our friends to go see the show on Broadway. And my obsession really is with the stage musical. You know, that original Newsies cast had some of my favorite dancers in it ever. Like there were guys that that was their first Broadway show that had previously been professional dancers or had been on So You Think You Could Dance that I like was already like a huge fan of. And so my attachment is significantly more towards the stage musical, which went on to run for a thousand performances, over a thousand performances, than the movie. Spoiler. (laughs) I do have to ask, were they courageous and kept the theme of having bad singers or were they cowards and cast good singers? No, they cast good singers. Boo. Yeah, Boo. no, it Yellow was bellies. the original Jack Kelly in the Broadway cast was uh, Jeremy Jordan. And then the replacement was uh, Corey Cott. So, yeah, it was they were good singers. The most interesting thing I learned about the Newsies musical is that when Disney put that musical into development, the plan was just to sort of do a quick run. But it was designed to be licensed to high schools. Like that was the goal when they put that project in development. Correct. And then it like became a sensation because the movie had developed such a cult following in the 30 years since its release. They extended it twice and then eventually extended it to an open run because it was selling. Fun fact on this, it was Disney's fastest musical to return to become profitable. It recouped its investment in seven months. You know, it's funny that Newsies is a little bit like Hocus Pocus in that way because that movie is also a flop theatrically. But, you know, that one has the seasonal boost where, like, Disney Channel could play it every Halloween. Newsies didn't really have that. But similarly, like, home video was a big part of it gaining a reputation among people who happened to watch it on home video, right? I didn't own the tape growing up, so the movie barely existed for me. Right. I can see why this would be better on stage. But I guess that's a spoiler alert for our last question. And you can also see the recorded stage version is also available on Disney+. Plus. I still have to watch Matilda. If I'm going to spend time with a bunch of dancing children, I feel like Matilda needs to take priority, especially before Netflix takes away my access. That's fair. On that note, Catherine, did you know there was a 13 movie musical last year? I watched it, yeah. Oh, really? They cut my favorite song. (laughs) Oh, what's, what's your favorite song in 13? It's, oh gosh, what's it called? It's this one about 
everybody like singing in a round about people lying. I forget what it's called, what the title oh, yeah, it yeah. is. I think it's called like It's a Lie or yeah. something. That's really fun. And it's also the easiest track in that cast recording to pick out Ariana Grande's voice. But yeah, they cut my favorite song. So I was upset. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. I'll get it. I watched it once. I'm not planning to watch it again. I'm 30, not 13. <laughs> so Newsies was written by Bob Zudiker and Noni White, who are a married couple. And this is their first produced screenplay. It's based on the real Newsboys strike, which lasted for two weeks in July of 1899, from July 20th to August 2nd. Uh, as I said, it was led by Kid Blink, the one-eyed 18-year-old redhead. And the inciting incident in real life is obviously a little bit more complicated than in this movie, where Joseph Pulitzer raises prices on the newspapers for apparently no reason. They're not making as much money as Hearst. Well, in real life, what happened was all the newspapers employed newsboys primarily for selling afternoon and evening editions. So people who subscribed to the newspaper would have it delivered. Excuse me, I've been speaking incorrectly this whole time. People who subscribed to the PAPE would have the morning PAPE delivered to their home every morning. But there were also afternoon and evening PAPEs with modified stories. And those papes were almost entirely sold by newsies on the street. And it was pretty much industry standard that the rate for newsies was that they would buy their papes at 50 cents for 100 papes. And they'd sell them, but they were non-returnable. So anything they didn't sell was a loss. During the Spanish-American War in 1898, industry-wide, they raised the rates on the newsies from 50 cents per 100 papes to 60 cents per 100 papes. But that price raise was balanced out by the fact that everyone wanted to remember the main. And so the newspapers were selling enough that the price hike didn't matter. After the war ended, prices went back down again, except at the New York World and the New York Journal, Hearst and Pulitzer's papers. And so the newsboy strike is specifically complaining that the higher price was kept after the war bringing higher sales had ended. I can see why they simplified it for the movie. <laughs> I don't know. I think what this needed was a, a little juice about boilers in Havana Harbor. I think a song called We Remembered the Main would really improve this musical. I don't know. But could you have all of the anti-capitalist stuff and throw that other piece about the war on there, too? Or would that just well, be it's too an much? Anti-war, it's an anti-war song. Right. right. I think the problem is that this movie is walking a very fine line of being like, pro-labor, vaguely anti-capitalist, but never actually being anti-papes. And it's hard to do that story without being like, the papes got it wrong. While being made by Disney. I mean, the Disney of 1992 is different than the Disney of 2. Correct. But it is also funny for one of the larger corporations in the country to make such a blatantly pro-labor, anti-capitalist movie. I mean, that's the history of cinema, Kevin. Yeah. 1992 also feels like not the best time for a pro-labor movie, politically. Well, NAFTA hasn't been signed yet. Yeah. I'm just thinking we're still in the Reagan bubble of anti-union. Yeah, but we're about to break out of that, because Clinton's going to get elected. <laughs> like Clinton liked unions, <laughs> Catherine. Liked him more than Reagan. <laughs> Low bar. <Great> bar. <laughs> so, Newsies tells the story, loosely based on that, of newsboys going on strike. And, you know, fighting for newspapers. And I feel like the movie, correct me if I'm wrong, the movie doesn't really specify what it is that they ultimately win. Although in this one, they do succeed in getting a general strike of all child laborers. Good. I think they just get it negotiated down to 50 cents. Yeah, I think it's just like a return to normal. 
which is like honestly i think that the actual deal that they negotiate probably served the newsies better which is in reality instead of lowering the price back down they instituted a buyback policy so any paper that wasn't sold would be bought back by the newspaper which is now industry standard in all like book and print media sales except for the comic book industry where the comic shops still have to buy non-returnable product so they do spe- they do fix that in the you're right they don't specify in the movie but they do fix that in the stage version and th- the price comes back down and they get the returnable I just in the movie when they add the like general strike by children I'm like well none of these kids other kids got anything out of this well they convince Theodore Roosevelt that child labor is bad and he will go on to fix it forever Listen, if I had a nickel for every musical about orphans in which a Roosevelt swoops in to save the day, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot of nickels, but it's weird that it happened twice. (laughs) That is part of my feeling about this, which, like, to be granted, I'm going to invoke Billy Elliot, which didn't exist when this movie came out. But, like, I did have the feeling watching this, and I've talked about, like, the music doesn't quite hit it for me. I think Kenny Ortega is directing with his hand tied behind his back. But because of that, like, I can see why there are kids who would find this movie appealing. But it's hard for me to imagine going back to it when Annie and Billy Elliot exist. I mean, Annie is better. <laughs> yeah, especially on Disney Plus, they've got the Victor Garber the one. The Victor Garber one. But that didn't come out. The Victor Garber one was a wonderful World of Disney movie in 2001. I think it's 98 or 99. Nah, uh, okay, maybe it's 98 or 99. But still, that's a whole that's a whole generation gap with these between these two. Right? Like, I'm not arguing that people in 1992 should have demanded better. I'm saying now I'm not going to like call back to the glory days of Newsies. I mean, I grew up on that wonderful world of, world of Disney, Victor Garber, Annie. So I, yeah. I owned that on VHS. We taped it. We had all the commercials. With Audrey McDonald, <laughs> Christian Chenoweth. Gosh, that's a good movie. Who needs tapes, though, when you could have papes? That's what I tell the kids all the time, and they just stare at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> they don't know what either is. They don't even know what a pape is. The papes. Which you can't even find anymore. You talking about newsies or you talking about papes? Both. Because I can tell you where to find a pape. There's one in every CVS. I couldn't find them on after election day. That's Talk about playing with your hands behind your back. That's because everyone else bought one. Or after the World Series. No, I guess that's fair. You're right. Everyone else bought one. But it shouldn't be that hard to find the newspaper. <laughs> Go to CVS tonight. They'll have plenty. One thing I did learn in researching this movie and the newsy strike is that in regards to child labor, I like how they tried to get rid of newsies twice, but not as a like anti-child labor, but as a these kids are stealing jobs from disabled veterans and unemployed adults. That is hilarious and not astonishing. <laughs> yeah, I think it was Theodore Roosevelt, maybe, who tried to like get rid of newsies and replace them with or I guess, who was after World War One, Like, immediately after World like War One, Like, president? I. Yeah. Warren Harding. Okay, maybe it was a governor of New York who did it then. But they tried to replace newsies with injured veterans from World War One. Yikes. And then in, uh, which act was it? One of the Alphabet Soup New Deal acts was abolishing newsies because Roosevelt wanted adults to take the newspaper delivering jobs. But it was the it was one of the ones the Supreme Court said was unconstitutional, which is why children still deliver the paper. Wow, that's fascinating. 
Also, there were newsies that were girls, and so they really didn't have to cast all boys in this movie. Did you see in the, like, general strike scene, there's, like, one girl walking around with this sign that says, like, girls want rights too? Yes, but it, like, is more insulting to have the one. I know, and it's also funny because it's like, okay, you, it, it does feel like you're protesting for something different, and Jack Kelly is not speaking up for you in there. No, he's not speaking for, like, the, like, triangle shirtwaist factory kids. Well, well, those were adults. There were kid. No, there were kids that like on like the seam on the seam machines. Like they they did have children. In, oh yeah. In all of those. No, there were there were kids that worked in the factories in the garment district and kids that in the laundry and you know all of those places. Yeah, yeah. Who else is gonna stick their hands inside tiny openings and dangerous machines? Exactly. The children yearn for the mines. One of the funniest tweets I've seen in a long time. What, the New Hampshire Libertarian Party? No, have you not seen it? It's like, in 19-whatever, I think it was 1920, child labor in mines was banned. In 2020, the highest selling video game is Minecraft. (laughs) The children yearn for the mines. No, I just, the New Hampshire Libertarian Party is always tweeting not crazy stuff about how child labor should be legal because kids should have the freedom to choose what to do with their time. Or they could go to school. It is funny to think about how, like, if Disney made this movie today, Sarah would be a much larger role, but she would be, like, vaguely into science in a way that would have some contrived role in the plot. Instead, she's just in five scenes. I'm surprised she's in five. I know. I I would have guessed three. It's exactly five. Okay, but they're not together in five scenes. No. No. (laughs) Kind of. They They don't. They have maybe three significant interactions. And that's it. But she does exist in five scenes. Is she around for the Liberty's Kids sequence? You talking about the rally? No, I'm talking about the part where they sneak into a printing yes. press in the middle of the night and run it off. I think that literally happens in an episode of Liberty's yeah. Kids. <laughs> yes, she is there for the news pit for creation of the Newsies banner newspaper. Excuse me, it's a pape. <laughs> Yes, the Newsies Banner Pape, as they called it. Why wasn't Hearst in this movie? I don't know, it's just Pulitzer. They reference Hearst a lot. I feel like when you think newspaper villains of this era, your brain goes to Hearst. Yeah, but is Hearst based in New York at this point? Or has he already moved west? Um, Maybe he lived out west at that point. But if you don't use Pulitzer, then how can you have all of the lovely I created the world jokes? That's the thing. They get a lot of mileage out of world puns, and some of them are good. Honestly, most of them are good. Just about every world pun in this movie is, is good. And the world will know, and the journal too. It's a horse and pull it, so have we got news for you. Now the world will hear what we got to say. We've been hawking headlines, but we're making them today. And our ranks will grow. He has to control the world, Mark. I mean, fair enough. Uh, Hearst would have still been in New York at this point. He's elected mayor in 1905. He was in New York that late? No, wait, no, he lost. Yeah, I, I feel like I would have known if he had been mayor. That's why I was surprised. But I think that might be one of the reasons he moves west, is because he's salty about losing. Yeah, and he's got some sled that he's trying to run down. Yeah. He also has a a new girlfriend he tries to help make it big in Hollywood. I should watch Mank again. 
Mike. Mike. This movie could have used an exclamation point. What, Newsy's exclamation point? Yes. But they jump instead. Okay. I mean, I am very pro, like, most musicals should end with an exclamation point, right? Because you've got Oklahoma does it. It should be Newsy's exclamation point, Annie exclamation point, Assassin's exclamation point. Next to normal exclamation point. <laughs> right. <laughs> A strange loop exclamation point. <laughs> All right, well, we, there's only so much to say about Newsies because it was a flop before the internet really existed. So people don't write about it that much. You know, besides that, it didn't do very well. They did get a nomination for Outstanding Youth Ensemble by the Youth and Film Awards, but they lost to Hook. Alan Menken found out that he won the Razzie for Worst Original Song for High Times, Hard Times while he was backstage winning his Beauty and the Beast Oscars. High Times, Hard Times. Hilarious. A song that they cut from the stage version. Yeah, for a good it's reason. Bad. I couldn't name a single song from this movie that I watched last night. They also got Razzie nominations for Worst Picture, Worst Director, Worst Supporting Actor for Robert Duvall, and Worst Supporting Actress for Anne Margaret. But by far, to me, the greatest indignity heaped upon this movie, including its box office flop, its multiple Razzie nominations, the greatest indignity is that Leonard Malton, who likes everything, wrote a pan of this movie, in which he called it an ambitious movie killed by a lackluster score a bloated runtime, and dances that are filmed in a really cramped way so that even though they spent money on them, they look cheap. It's weird to find myself agreeing with Leonard Malton. But the crescendo of this review, he says, a movie that they spent a lot of money on. It was designed to be a big hit, and it just doesn't work. Leonard Malton called this movie Howard the Paperboy. Oh my god. No, he didn't. I swear he did. How did you no, find Duck Talk for Newsies? We haven't had Duck Talk in so long, and it's been so nice. And it's organic. How did you find Duck Talk for Newsies? It was Leonard Malton. The most, like, let's sit down and have a nice time talking basically about the movies. Coming out here... Slinging burns. That is harsh. I'm in shock. Kenny Ortega bodied by Leonard Malton. <laughs> That's what it hurts the guy the most. who interviewed George Lucas at the front of all the Star Wars tapes I grew up on. I'm in shock. I don't know how you did that. <sighs> Talk about songs that should have won Oscars. Howard the Duck. Oh my god, no. no. <laughs> what won Best Original Song for 1986? Let me look. Oh, I should say, I do know one song because the one line is golly gee i'm the king of new york is stuck in my head and i can't name any other word from any other song in this movie but that's the song where you get to hear bill pullman sort of sing again brave of them to say we don't need talented singers in this musical of ours okay so 1986 is the winner is take my breath away from top gun of course the others are somewhere out there from an american tale Glory of Love from The Karate Kid Part 2, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space from Little Shop of Horrors, and Life in a Looking Glass from That's Life. I'm just saying, Howard the Duck, you could maybe squeeze in there. I thoroughly disagree. Mm. I mean, it could have won the Oscar for Best Use of Non-Mammalian Boobs in a Film. That's the thing. You know, where's, where's the VFX nomination for Howard the Duck? None of those other movies successfully manifested a dark elder of the universe. I hated that movie. <laughs> and yet... For some reason, I still think I might want to watch it again because it's been so long. They just put out a 4K of it, and I've almost bought it many times. We don't, you don't need to buy it, Will. This is not something you need to own on physical media. 
I recently got software to like database software for home video collections for like DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff just to like make it easier to keep tracks of stuff. And also you can filter based on tags. So like, or like runtime, for example. So like if I want to watch a movie, I can filter for like under 90 minutes, but I did create a tag for puppets. Of course you did. Of course. These are two people that are not surprised by that revelation. I don't think I could be surprised by you that much at this point, Will. We've been recording a good percentage of our conversations at this point, so you can always go back to the tape. Uh, I think the last, like, big surprise is when I found out how much work you were putting into the AARP movies for grown-ups <laughs> Wikipedia pages. I'm a little concerned. I have a sneaking suspicion that someone has updated the pages with the winners because there's a two-month delay between the ceremony and when they broadcast the ceremony. So I hold out to watch Alan Cummings sing songs about the nominees, but the results are just there in the Hollywood Reporter for anyone who wants to see them. Do you want me to check? I won't tell you the result. Um, Yeah, just see. Go to, it'll be the 22nd AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. This is how much we really don't want to talk about the five plot points. We have we'll do so it in little minutes, to Matt. talk about. <laughs> If we did this in the first year of the podcast, it would be a 25-minute episode. That is true. Do you know what we haven't talked about? That Bill Pullman's in this movie. <laughs> I I mentioned it because he sings King of the World. King, of, King New of New York. They have been updated with the winners, Will. I hate yeah. to break it to you. Yeah, I know. There are a couple of people who have started like working in on those, and I'm happy to have them there. But I'm like, guys, this is, this is my livelihood. But are you really happy to have them there? Isn't that helpful for it not getting taken down, though? I'm not worried about them getting taken down because I've built a wide enough network of those pages, but it's good for the health of them as a part of Wikipedia. Yeah, I mean, you could have started a blog. <laughs> but then again, there would be the question of why is this blog pretending that news didn't happen for two months? <laughs> Fair enough. All right, I think we should cover this weird teen romance. We should cover this weird lackluster teen romance. That, I'm just going to say it, the whole thing feels like just clarification that he's not gay. It's not what I got, but... Sure. The reason, well, I'm saying like on a production end, I especially got this just in like, in the last scene when the two dudes finally exchange fluids, there's a moment of like, oh, oh, they could kiss, but the movie has to be like, no, none of that. And he like rushes over and kisses the girl who's barely been in this movie. I can't believe that's how you described the spit shake. <laughs> it's what they're doing. I saw it more as just compulsory romance. Yeah, that's how I... That's probably more what it yeah, is. Yeah, that's how I viewed it, because how else would you get girls to watch this movie, right? <laughs> Can you imagine trying to sell a girl on this with Sarah? Right, the pitch to girls is Christian Bale cute. The pitch to girls is, remember that cute kid from Empire of the Sun? Here you go. But if I'm a old white man sitting in a Disney boardroom in 1990, I'm saying... That I don't think that girls have enough of an imagination to imagine themselves with Christian Bale unless I put a proxy in there for them. I, I don't think that little of Jeffrey Katzenberg. <laughs> I maybe do. The man created Quibi, Catherine. <laughs> he could do no wrong. I mean, Quibi. But we'll get into this romance as we break it down into five points to guide conversation as we do every week. As our guest, Catherine, will you guide us through your five points, which are coincidentally, it seems, the only five scenes in which Sarah appears. And I would just like to state for the record, I do not believe that their only pitch to selling this to girls would be to include Sarah. But I think that that's what they believed. So yes, as you said, Mark, 
Sarah really only appears on our screens about five times, so that made it really easy to come up with our five plot points here. So our first plot point is the standard family dinner. After Davy and Les's first day selling the papes under the tutelage of Jack Kelly, they bring them home for dinner so that they can split their profits. And who's there but lovely sister Sarah. So Jack gets introduced to parents, but also sister Sarah. A couple of born newsies. Can I have a little more? Yes. Thanks. The headlines are good. So what makes the headline good? <laughs> What does Sarah do all day? She works somewhere. She says later on that she has to go to work. So obviously okay. she works some, somewhere. At this family dinner, we learn that Davy and Les's dad has uh, been injured at his factory job and therefore has been fired. So we get our family dinner with a side about anti-capitalism and union protections that his father doesn't have because his factory is not unionized. So therefore, his boys have to quit school and go start selling those papes. What's funny is a lot of Newsies were also going to school because they're just selling the afternoon and evening editions so they could go to school for at least part of the day. But in this, but here, Davey had to quit school because he has to promise his dad that he'll go back. I assume Sarah has also started a job because the dad lost his job. Right, kids get paid less. Right. But so, you know, f lovely family dinner. Do Sarah and Jack speak to each other? No. <laughs> no, they do not. But Sarah serves a cake and we talk about unions. So, yay. During the opening musical number, I was just like, oh my God, there's not even a girl on screen. And we're getting pretty significant in to the movie. And the only women on screen so far have been nuns. Correct. And I was just like, will we have anything to talk about? Or is this Madagascar part two? Well, Madagascar part two is Escape to Africa. And, you know, by 20 minutes into this movie, we've got Anne Margaret. Like, this movie takes so long to have a plot hook. You get a good chunk of the way in before you have a, a real story. But I do love some of the portrait of the world we get, like running through an open air boxing match in the streets of New York. Like that's the new urbanist utopia that I feel I'm working towards in my life. Yeah, but how else are they going to run away from the guy that owns the refuge, which is just a whole thing that we probably don't need to get into. It's basically a jail for children. I like it when we're introduced to Christian Bale, just like clowning on the mean kids. Are those the Brooklyn kids? No, it's the Delanceys. No, they're, the, they're the scabs. No, it's the Delanceys. Yeah. It's the Delancey brothers who are not scabs nor the Brooklyn kids. They are guys that work for the world in like a okay. formal capacity. But yeah, I like it when they, like, they're just thrown around because all the hijinks there feel a lot like Marty McFly in Back to the Future, like when he's harassing Biff and his friends. But the difference is that Marty McFly has just arrived in town and no one has seen him do this stuff before. The implication is that Christian Bale screws with these dudes every day. I mean, I feel like they deserve it. They're kind of, as we'll get to in a later plot point, they're assholes. I did not know they came back. They did not make a strong impression on me. But, you know, also at this family dinner, or after dinner, Jack shares his lifelong dream with Davey to escape New York City and go to Santa Fe, New Mexico in 1899. Um, so, which leads us to our lovely ballad, obviously called Santa Fe, in which Jack Kelly wanders the streets of New York back towards his boarding house and 
steals a horse at one point. But this scene, really, as you're watching it, what people should do watching this movie is watch that Santa Fe sequence and then go watch Bet on It from High School Musical 2. There is a direct correlation, and it is the moment in which I recall just how strongly Kenny Ortega appears as the director of this movie, because they are almost identical. I mean, those are both the best songs in their respective movies, so there you go. They are almost identical sequences if you really look at it. It's shocking. (laughs) Angry man running places and just, like, pounding on things. It's great. It's great. Truly. So, uh, so where are we? Is that, we got a lot more out of that point than I expected. Yeah, really because I wanted to talk about Bet on it. Yeah, always good. So that really, you know, we had Sister Sarah. She served some cake. They looked at each other. And that was plot point number one. We then go through a lot of the movie. <laughs> She's gone for a long time. It's also funny to me that, like, they introduce the, like, family apartment location, but never use it again. No, they do in this next plot point. <laughs> Okay. But Jack's not there, right? No, he is. He no, doesn't go use, in again. They use the window. He sleeps on the fire escape. So we go through a whole chunk of the movie in which the Newsies kind of start formalizing their strike. They start working with Denton, who is Bill Pullman. And Jack gets recognized by the guy from the refuge who's trying to put him back in prison. And he runs away and ends up, plot point number two... Falling asleep on the fire escape next to Sarah's bed. Papa's so proud of you and David. You should hear him talking about Jack Kelly, the strike leader who occasionally takes his meals with us. She then wakes up, sees him there, asks him why he didn't come into the ho- come into the apartment when he wandered up the fire escape in the middle of the night, and then sends him up to the roof and brings him breakfast. If only there were a musical about an orphan who insisted that their parents were coming back and therefore they didn't want to be with the family because their parents were going to come back. Maybe far away and maybe real nearby. But in what seemingly is their first real conversation on the roof after Sarah has, you know, been the dutiful girl and brought him breakfast, Jack looks at her and says, I'm just not used to having whether I stay or whether I go matter to anybody. I'm not saying it should matter to you. But does it? There's a point where he talks about, like, going to Santa Fe. Like, there's no reason for me to stay here. That, like, tips on fully into the Little Women speech about, like, I'm going to San Francisco. They're kinder to immigrants there. Yes. So he goes on that full speech about about going to Santa Fe and then asks her if she cares whether he stays or goes. And she just smiles and says, I have to go to work now. (laughs) They're paying her by the word. They got to keep it cheap. That's plot point number two. (laughs) Then we don't see her for a while again. Right, she disappears for like another half hour. And you're like, where's Sarah? That felt like they were trying to start something, maybe. I don't know. Well then, you know, the Newsies continue with trying to get their strike going and get everybody organized and together. And they got to get Brooklyn on board. So they host a rally at Anne Margaret's character's theater that she owns. By the way, there was a real rally as part of the Newsboy strike at a theater in New York. But it wasn't just like children and like an old dancer it was like full of new york political leaders who were all like we support the newsboys strike but we think you're a little violent you should stop beating up anybody who doesn't go along with what you want and they all gave speeches and kid blink got up got up there and he gave a speech and he was given a prize for the best speech of the night wow 
I love Kid Blink. Kid Blink is the labor icon that we need. So they have this rally, and shockingly, for some reason, Sarah is there. Yep. She has no lines. She doesn't do anything. She's just there. She doesn't speak. She and Jack look at each other a couple of times. But then when the police show up to this to break up this rally and arrest Jack Kelly, he shoves her out of a door, and we assume that she gets home fine. He doesn't. Yep. He I gets mean, arrested. She seems fine next time. Yeah, he gets arrested. And he becomes a scab, basically, because he's trying to protect Davy and Les, who are Sarah's brothers, right? So then he's out being a scab and selling some papes. And so this is also this is also based on Kid Blink. There were rumors that Kid Blink and his like chief lieutenant had sold out, and like part of the evidence for the rumor was that he supposedly had been walking around in slightly nicer clothes than he usually wore. Uh, they insisted that this was not true. And voluntarily stepped down from their leadership positions in the union. Wow. You know, at that point, Davey is still trying to lead some strike activity. And so those Delancey brothers, those guys from the beginning that Jack beat up that Will insisted never came back, do in fact come back. And they're like, hey. They're just anonymous hoods to me. Hey, Jack, we're going to go beat up your pal Davey. But instead of beating up Davey, they find Sarah first. And somehow they know that she's his sister and they're creeps and start stalking her and then pull her into an alley and start beating you know trying to violate her they start beating up Les. davy shows up they start beating him up and then jack happens to walk by so um jack saves them he somehow single-handedly beats up both of these hoodlum delancey brothers and immediately after he does that sarah jumps into his arms in a hug Again, no words were spoken. And no kissing, because this is following Hallmark rules where you get one kiss at the very end. Right. So no kissing. But at this point, they decide, well, okay. Jack's like, well, no, I really was on your side the whole time. We we really got to do something else. And they refine this article that Davey had written about their strike activities. So they go back to their newspaper friend, Denton, Bill Pullman. They're like, well, we got to publish this article. David, The Dark Truth, Why Our City Really Fears the Newsy Strike by Brian Denton. Last night I saw naked force exercised against mere boys, newsies. How do they do that? They go full Liberties kids. <laughs> like the Liberties kids, they all break into the basement of the World Distribution Center where they find this old printing press and create their own paper. Just uh, Jack, Sarah, Davey, Les, and Bill Pullman overnight together. They publish a newspaper. Again, do Sarah and Jack speak? Not really. <laughs> Plot point number four. <laughs> Done. So then we come to the end of our story. Uh, they win the strike. Teddy Roosevelt offers to take Jack anywhere he wants to go. And he's like, to the train station. Because fun fact, Bill Pullman, famous war correspondent who was somehow friends with Teddy Roosevelt. It's, it's a real, it, it's just a real Roosevelt out of nowhere, which again is also in Annie. It's a real plot point of, plot point of convenience, if you will. Like, just throw Roosevelt in there. He'll make it fine. So does he just like, train up to albany i guess and then it's just like waltzes into his office 
I mean, TR was from the city. Maybe he was in town. That's I was I was always imagining that he like he was just out at Hudson or something. But yeah, so they bring Teddy back and Jack says, Yay, we won. Teddy, drop me off at the train station. I'm going to Santa Fe. Everyone looks really sad. And then with what, fifteen seconds later? 20 seconds later it's not very you don't really have that much suspense in this jack is back immediately but they've dumped roosevelt somewhere he's going to santa fe <laughs> right teddy's no longer in the carriage but jack is back he swaps spit with his buddy and by that and then kisses the girl yeah and by that will means a spit shake <laughs> which davy initially was horrified by the first time he saw it in the beginning of the movie and then sarah fights her way through the crowd and they kiss, and then Les jumps up to hug them. So they have their first kiss, and then her little brother jumps up to hug her. <laughs> and that's it. They speak five sentences to what? each other in the entire movie, and then they kiss at the end. Uh, it's really earned. So do we find the romance believable? I mean, no. I mean, like, you're going the, no. The only argument for it is that, like... It's 1899. It's 1899, and... The bar for, you know, getting into a relationship is pretty low. But even there. From watching it, no. But in 1899, you're only going to marry, like, your friend's siblings. So, maybe? Right, that's the thing. It's just, like, somebody in the neighborhood. (laughs) So, if we're thinking about rating this, it's not going to be a zero, right? I don't believe none of it. Yeah. But it ain't going to be a ten for me either. Where would you rate it on a scale of one to ten? Catherine, what do you think? I don't, like, a Three and a half, maybe? I was gonna go with a three, William. There's just so little interaction. Context of the time. Right, and I guess some of the argument... Well, no, in the time they would have interacted more, right? There's not, like, women and men can't speak to each other. And especially at the kid level, there would be more interaction. Like, I think the stronger evidence they give us is that she's cool with him sleeping on the fire escape. Right, well... I would also say that they also had hundreds of people, including her brothers, watch them kiss. So in 1899, like, really, would she not, would they not then be forced to kind of be, would there not then be a lot of pressure for them to continue to be together after that, if they're publicly kissing? There'd be some pressure, but, like, you gotta, you gotta keep in mind the class differential, right? These aren't, like, society folks where there's not gonna be the same level of pressure. Right. Those kinds of norms are much weaker where they are. I'm gonna give it a four. Whoa bold that's the highest of all of us yeah um Catherine, do you think that sarah or jack is dateable i mean jack not my cup of tea feels like he doesn't know what he wants he wants to go to santa fe i mean he wants to go to santa fe but do i want to go to santa fe not really and you know he doesn't really have a place uh sarah seems lovely but you know we don't really know that much about her (laughs) i guess i need to know if sarah made the cake or not Because that would make her more compelling. I don't know if... There's just not enough there. Like, an actress paid by the word is what it feels like. You described it best, Will. And I think Jack is just a hoodlum who commits some crimes. Elle Keats, who played Sarah, did tell a funny story about Disney marketing, sent her a folder of reviews. And she read them and she's like, why did you send me this? They're all bad. And a lot of them talk about me specifically being bad. 
Why did they send that to her? That's so And I'm rude. also just like, I can't imagine her making enough of an impression to be referenced in a <laughs> yeah, review. Yeah, that's another thing. I would not have shouted her out. But, like, how many of them were that her acting was bad? And how many of them that were were that her character and the script was not developed? Uh, I think a number of them had general things to say about the acting and may have mentioned her specifically. Yeah, okay, fair. Do you think they'll stay together? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with Jack going I forward. mean, 17 is pretty old in 1899. Yeah, again, I just, circling back to Catherine said, she doesn't know what Jack wants. I don't really either. I think the movie is like, and now he's found a family. But I'm like, he's, I don't know. I don't buy it. Yeah, they they definitely are playing the, and now he's found a family card. I think they probably would, because it does seem like he's he has been given this option to go to Santa Fe, which is the thing he sang his I Want song about, and he chooses not to do it. I think that's part of what makes this musical not quite work for me, is that, like, I think his desires aren't super clear, but also, like, I think he's got to go west anyway, because he there's no future in pape slinging for him, right? He's got to do something else with his life. Maybe he'll get a job at the factory with the guy's dad when he's healed. Yeah. If you had to pick one person in the movie to date, though, who would you choose? Bill Pullman. I mean, it's Bill Pullman, right? It's Bill Pullman. <laughs> yeah. Bill Pullman is nice and handsome. It's not even close that it's Bill Pullman. Famed war correspondent, Denton? Are you kidding me? It's Bill Pullman. Now, I guess this last question is less relevant. Pretty established stage musical. I think it's been decided by the public that, yes, this should be made into a stage musical. And the consensus is that it is, in fact, better as a stage musical. Yeah. So much better. I think that's it for Newsies. Catherine, thank you so much for uh, coming on with us. It was actually, it was on Hocus Pocus. We mentioned that Newsies was our last theatrical Kenny Ortega movie. And then one of our listeners, Jed, reached out and said we had to do it. And once that was the case, we knew you had to talk about it with us. So thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks, guys. Someday we'll watch a movie we like. Yeah. With you, specifically. I mean, we, yeah, for the show. (laughs) I think we got to tie into Fast 10 this spring. Fair enough. I think we knock out Fast and Furious, and we do Fast 5 in May. That's my ambitious goal. Okay. Catherine, you're doxing a lot of personal information by implying that we watch movies together outside the podcast, and I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> I mean, we haven't in a long time. We really got to get back to those Fast and Furious movies. That is true. But next week, we'll be covering a not Fast or Furious movie. I don't know. I haven't seen it. It's possible that 1990's Ghost is both of those things. <laughs> that is true. There could be some fast and there could be some furious. We'll find out next week. Uh, it just describes the speed of that pottery wheel. Until next week, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can be like Jed and email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Last question, Catherine. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Newsies? Is there dating advice in Newsies? This is the task. This is what we're here for. I mean, I would say speak to your partner. I think I learned a lot more about what not to do from Newsies. Um, Having real conversations before you ask someone whether they care whether you stay or go would probably be helpful. Serve them baked goods. That's my advice. let Let them know you're literate. Oh, because uh, one of the things that makes Jack really good at his job is that he can read the papes and pull out the more interesting stories. And I'm guessing he would have been less attractive if he were illiterate. That's a good one.
with that, there you go. Until next time. Uh, or as it says in the script, until next, Catherine. <laughs> because I, I did a script that had Tim in it, and I did a find and replace Tim for Catherine. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> until next, Catherine, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. And we'll win that one big union by and Oh!